0: Welcome to the World Video Bible School podcast. For the next month, the podcast lessons will be focusing in on our worship to God. What are some fundamental aspects to place our focus on? And how can we worship in a way that pleases our Heavenly Father? The lesson today comes from the program titled The Truth About Worship and focuses on the importance of studying God's Word so that your life and worship are true and distinct from the world. Join Neil Pollard as he discusses the blessings of Bible study gleaned from the book of 2 Peter. Didn't you just love it when you were in school and the teacher began class by saying, Class, take out a sheet of paper and number to 10. That's especially fun if you're taking a pop quiz. Well, let me ask you a few questions as we start. Number one, what's the chemical symbol for the element iron? Number two, what's the capital of Wisconsin? Number three, what's the square root of 225? Number four, who was the 21st President of the United States? Number five, who was the Emperor of Japan at the beginning of World War II? Now there's a pretty good chance that you learn those facts somewhere in the dark recesses of your past whether you remember them is another matter. Now how about these questions? What is the chemical formula for nitroglycerin? In trigonometry, what is the difference between the angle of depression and the angle of elevation? When did the Mongol Empire stretch from the Yellow Sea to the Caspian Sea? Now there's at least a chance that you don't know this because you've never learned them. That might take some time and some effort on your part, but you could add that to your base of knowledge. When you became a Christian, there are so many things for you to consider. For one thing, you have a new Lord and a new master in your life. And you probably have figured this out, that this means a new way of life and a new way of thinking. The Apostle Paul said in Colossians chapter 3 beginning at verse 1, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sits at the right hand of God. Set your affections on things above and not on things of the earth. But not only that, you also have a whole new network of support, a spiritual community or family known as the Church of our Lord. They will help you as you spiritually grow in this wonderful new life. But third, you have personal responsibilities too, things that your Savior expects of you. So how do you continue to adjust to this wonderful life and rise to face the challenges of your Christian life? One of the best ways for you to meet the expectations that you have for yourself in this, and the expectations that Christ has for you in this, is to develop the daily habit of Bible study. But where do you begin and how do you come to comprehend the 1189 chapters and 31,104 verses that make up the Bible? It's not enough to rely on someone else's knowledge of Scripture or even their willingness to share it with the lost people who are in need of it. This must become a personal challenge that you rise up and meet. A few years ago the National Study of Student Engagement found that while professors at 472 colleges expected their students to spend on average at least 25 hours studying, Only 11 percent of the 163,000 first year and senior students surveyed say that they spend at least that much time. 44 percent confessed to spending 10 hours or less. One thing that the study found is that the amount of time spent studying depended on why the students were studying in the first place. Was it to join a, a sorority or fraternity? Was it to get a degree in order to earn a job? Or was it to learn? it made a difference. As far as I know, there have been no large-scale surveys done in religion to determine how many hours per week people study their Bibles. But I wonder what the average number of hours the average believer in Christ spends studying the Bible each week. Would it be 25 hours? Would it even be 10 hours? Would it be one hour or less? May I suggest that to become the kind of Christian that God wants us to be, we're going to have to become regular faithful students of the Bible. Now near the back of your New Testament is the epistle of 2 Peter. And knowledge is the major theme of what was likely the farewell address of the Apostle Peter. Peter had come a long way since meeting Jesus as a salty, uneducated fisherman. He seemed to sometimes have a hard time learning his lessons, but he kept on trying. And God eventually used him in great ways. And a key to this was Peter's pursuit of knowledge. It was Peter in Matthew 15 and verse 15 who sat as a pupil of Jesus and asked him, Lord, explain the parable to us. It was Peter who spoke up in Luke and asked his teacher a question in Luke 12 and verse 41. And Peter was still learning after Jesus rose from the dead and went back to heaven even after he had begun his life as a full-time preacher. The Lord sends Peter to Cornelius and in Acts chapter 10 and verse 34 Peter says, Of a truth I perceive, that is, I understand, that God is no respecter of persons. This Peter writes 2 Peter to encourage the Christians to possess the kind of knowledge that you and I need to stay faithful to God. I want to take you on a brief journey through this letter to encourage you as you grow in your Christian life. And I see in this letter at least eight blessings as you grow in your knowledge of Jesus Christ. As we try to grow in our Bible study, notice several things that Peter says. A first benefit of personal Bible study is that you can have the same kind of faith as apostles like Peter. 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 1. Peter begins this letter by addressing it to those who have obtained like precious faith with us. We can't know for certain who Peter means by us, but he at least means himself. Later on in 2 Peter chapter 1 when Peter uses pronouns like we and us, he seems to have other apostles like Andrew and James and John in mind. They saw Jesus glorified up on that mountain and they heard God say this about Jesus, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased, verse 17. They were eyewitnesses of His Majesty, verse 16. These things that they knew made them sure of their faith. But What about you and me? Can we be sure about the things that we believe? While we didn't witness the miracles of the first century firsthand, we have the Bible. And John, one of those inner circle of disciples, says this near the end of his gospel, And truly Jesus did many signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life in His name. When I read that Jesus calmed the storm at sea, that He fed the five thousand with five loaves and two fishes, that He raised Lazarus from the dead, I believe. This is Jesus, the Son of God, doing this. And it's reasonable for me to believe this. Now you see, Peter talks about a faith of the same kind. So how is it possible for Peter and for these early Christians and for you and for me to have the same kind of faith? Well, it's Paul that answers that in Romans 10 and verse 17. He says, So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. They heard His teaching and preaching, they saw His mighty works and they knew that the Old Testament scriptures were pointing ahead to His coming. They had to weigh the evidence and study the scriptures and then decide. And so as I grow in my knowledge, my faith can grow to be a faith that's as mature as the apostles' faith was. A second blessing that we see in personal Bible study from Second Peter is that grace and peace are multiplied to you, Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 2. I find it interesting that these blessings, grace and peace, are connected to the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. We are unaware of the grace of God and we cannot have the peace of God unless we know God and His Son. Now Peter is talking about true and full knowledge, definite knowledge, a thorough and competent understanding. You may know the game of baseball on a strategic level. You know what a squeeze play is. You know what a balk is. You know how to calculate fielding percentage and slugging percentage. You know what a double steal is. You know the difference between a slider and a split-finger fastball. You know why a manager calls a double switch, but how do you come to know this? You study the game. You learn it as you observe it and you deepen your exposure to baseball. You obtain this full and complete knowledge through personal involvement and a great effort. Now, if you want a fuller appreciation of God's grace, try to know Him better. If you want the effects of sweet peace in your heart and your life, try to know Him better. A beautiful thing will happen as you engage in personal Bible study. You will develop a more intimate, a more meaningful relationship with God as you study the Bible. A third thing that we see as a personal benefit of Bible study is that we know all things pertaining to life and godliness. Second Peter 1 and verse 3. Peter is saying that God did this in the past. He gave it to us and we continue to reap the benefits of it even today. God made a decision to bless us with everything we need for spiritual survival. Alexander Selkirk was a Scottish castaway. He was left on an uninhabited island in the South Pacific Ocean in 1704 due to his troublemaking on an expedition ship. Left alone with just a musket and gunpowder and carpenter's tools, a knife and a Bible and some clothing, Alexander lasted four years and four months in complete solitude, apart from some domesticated wildcats. After hiding from two Spanish ships that arrived and departed the island due to fear of capture, Selkirk was eventually discovered and befriended by an English ship in 1709. Now he was able to last so long because he had some tools for survival and he knew how to use them. A stark reality is that most people who ever live will not spiritually survive. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says that only few travel the narrow road that leads to eternal life. Matthew chapter 7 verse 13 and 14. But why will most perish and only few survive? Well, Christ answers this at the end of that Sermon on the Mount as Luke records it in Luke chapter 6 verse 46 through 49. But why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them, I will show you whom he's like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose, the stream beat vehemently against that house and could not shake it, for it was founded on the rock. But he who heard and did nothing is like a man who built a house on the earth without a foundation, against which the stream beat vehemently, and immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. But as you build a life of personal Bible study, you're going to arm yourself with the tools that you need to survive. Peter says that God gives us everything we need relative to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us. Now this knowledge here is the true knowledge, the deeper, intimate knowledge. Peter is saying that the more you study God's Word, the better and more fully acquainted with His will you become. This knowledge that led you to have eternal life will show itself as you live a godly life. This blessing of being given everything needed is that it's comprehensive. Peter is saying that there is nothing that you need to go to heaven that you don't have through this knowledge. But the greatest part of this is that its source is divine power. You'll notice four things that Peter says that shows us this. Now, first of all, the life and godliness and knowledge is because of His divine power, verse 3. Second, the precious and magnificent promises are by His glory and virtue, verse 4. The present blessings in Christ as a Christian and the new heavens and the new earth later on in 2 Peter 3 and verse 13 are real and meaningful because of His glory and virtue. You know, I could promise you a million dollars if you email me and ask me, but that promise means very little. I don't have a million dollars. I couldn't make good on my promise. But when Jesus offers you exceedingly great and precious promises, He is offering that based on who He is and what He possesses. He says, I am the first and the last and the living one, and I was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and of Hades, Therefore write the things which you have seen, and the things which are, and the things which will take place after these things," Revelation 1, 18 and 19. He has all authority in heaven and in earth, Matthew twenty eight eighteen. He has all power, Colossians 1 and verse 11. A third statement there is that being the partakers of the divine nature comes through His glory and virtue, verse 4. No, we don't become divine, but we do reflect His nature and His virtues. But how can we possibly do this? Through the knowledge of Him who called us. Study the life of Jesus and follow Him as your example in your thoughts, in your words, in your actions, and you will become more like Him in these ways. And the fourth statement is, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust is connected to pursuing this knowledge of Christ, too. Verse 4. You will have a hard time hanging on to these precious promises and allowing your heart to give in to lust. This is like those Peter mentions later, who escaped the world's pollution through the knowledge of Christ only to go back to it, 2 Peter 2 verse 20 through 22. And so the blessing of knowledge that Peter mentions in 2 Peter 1, 3 and 4 is the sufficient supply of everything we need to survive this world and to make it to heaven. You may look and see in the first epistle that Peter refers to Christians as pilgrims and strangers in this world, 1 Peter 2 and verse 11. We abstain from fleshly lust, and we strive to grow more holy through our knowledge of Christ. The great Scottish Bible scholar Alexander McLaren said, we may have as much of God as we will. Christ puts the key to the treasure chamber into our hand and he asks us to take all that we want. Now suppose that the bank president told you that you could go into the vault of the bank and to help yourself if you come out with only one cent Whose fault is it that you're poor? You see, every great and precious promise that God offers us in Christ is ours if we'll pursue them. That's a blessing and benefit of Bible study. But a fourth benefit of personal Bible study that we see in 2 Peter is that you will never stumble, 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 10. In 2 Peter 1, verse 5-7, through 7, there are several qualities often called Christian graces. These are qualities that we apply all diligence to put into our lives. And one of these qualities is knowledge. Peter says that those who possess these qualities and increase in them will never stumble. Notice that Peter did not say that one cannot stumble, but that the one who practices these things will never stumble. Sadly, if one rejects these graces, they are the ones that Peter mentions in the second chapter of this epistle. In verse 20 he says, For if, after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein, and overcome, the latter end is worse with them than the beginning. For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. But it has happened to them, according to the true proverb, a dog returns to his own vomit, and a sow having washed, to her wallowing in the mire. They will stumble and fall and be lost, even though they had become a Christian. But studying the Bible is like insulation against stumbling. Peter implies that practicing these things makes you fruitful and useful in the knowledge that you gain through studying. Practicing these things gives you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of Christ, Second Peter chapter 2 and verse 11. If you try and make your Christian life a self-guided tour, you're going to get lost. One time my wife and three sons and I took a tour of a large cave called Carlsbad Caverns in New Mexico. What impressed me most about that cave is how massive and large it is. It's a thousand feet deep and it contains over 30 miles of mapped passages. Now can you imagine being at the bottom of the one-mile walkway that takes you to the floor of what they call the big room? Standing somewhere in the middle of the one-and-a-quarter-mile walkway that goes around it? and have somebody cut out all the lights? How hard would it be to find your way back up to the mouth of that cave? The Bible often compares life without the knowledge of God to stumbling about in the dark, John chapter 12 and verse 35. But on the other hand, David says in Psalm 119 verse 105, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my pathway. When you become a serious student of the Bible, while those around you are stumbling, you're going to know the right way to go. And not only can you save yourself, but you can help those who are around you. First Timothy chapter 4 and verse 16. Now a fifth blessing of personal Bible study is that you are reminded. Second Peter chapter 1 verse 12 and 13. What system do you have for remembering things? I'm not sure what the connection is, but some people tie a string around their finger to remember an important date or appointment. Some people just write on their hand, or others live by a daytimer or a PDA. What do we do to keep from forgetting what's important to us spiritually? Well, Peter writes in 2 Peter 1, 12 and 13, that he was stirring them up by reminding them. Studying God's Word awakens our memory to things that we may have forgotten, or things that we may not have looked deeply into in the past, or brings something to our attention in a way it has not before. We noticed that He was reminding them of something they already knew. False teachers were trying to distract them and deceive them from what they knew. Bible study is good for us to keep us from falling into the traps of false teaching. Many of us come to the Lord from religious bodies that teach something different from the Bible about salvation or worship or the end of time or church leadership. Keep your Bible open and your heart open to what you study and you will keep reminding yourself of the joy and the blessings of New Testament Christianity. I find it interesting that later in the letter Peter writes, Beloved, I now write to you this second epistle and both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandments of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior, 2 Peter 3, 1 and 2. Now that covers everything, the Old Testament and the New Testament. But it's also a reminder that if you live another 50 or 75 years, you will always need to study and to remind yourself of what the Bible says on every subject. You know, some of the best students I know have white hair and wrinkled skin and have been Bible students for many decades. The Songwriter Arabella Catherine Hankey said, I love to tell the story, for those who know it best, seem hungering and thirsting to hear it like the rest, and when in scenes of glory I sing the new, new song, "'Twill be the old, old story that I have loved so long." And yet another personal benefit of Bible study is that we avoid the destructive work of those without true knowledge, 2 Peter chapter 2. Now Peter ends the first chapter of this letter talking about the sure word of prophecy. 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 19. It's a lamp shining in a dark place. It's not of human origin. The Bible is from God, 2 Peter 1 verse 20 and 21. But then Peter warns his readers about imposters and counterfeits. They secretly introduce destructive heresies, 2 Peter 2 and verse 1. They would not have claimed that they were destructive or heresy, but Peter says that they are. They would also deny Jesus as their master, 2 Peter 2 and verse 1. They would lead many people astray, verse 2. And they would exploit those without proper knowledge, Second Peter 2 and verse 3. Now Peter uses the examples of the fallen angels in the world of Noah's day and Sodom and Gomorrah as examples of God's judgment on those who rejected divine knowledge. These false teachers were cut from the same cloth as those Old Testament examples. Now, it's important to understand that Peter is writing to them the Word of God to warn them not to follow those who are peddling error for true knowledge. And so, you see, a blessing of Bible study as we look at that is that it prevents us from following such people. You know, you can turn on your TV every day and tune into religious programming. And so much of what you watch is the doctrine of men and not true knowledge. A preacher with a golden voice and a soothing smile tells you something that sounds very good and it makes you feel good, but can you find it in the Bible? A religious person that you trust tells you that the Bible teaches something, but does it agree with what the Bible says? The best of people cannot be our standard of religious authority. And so faithfully studying the Word of God keeps us from being misled and led astray. That's a blessing of Bible study. But another blessing of personal Bible study is that we are forewarned to the last days, chapter 3 and verse 3. There's a great day coming. It's a day of judgment and everybody is going to be there. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 25 beginning at verse 31 that all the nations are going to be gathered before Him. In John's account Jesus says in John chapter 5 and verse 28, Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in which all that are in the grave shall hear His voice and shall come forth. Those that have done good under the resurrection of life and those that have done evil under the resurrection of condemnation. It's a day in which the earth, the sky, and the universe will all be burned up, Second Peter 3 and verse 10. It's the day that time will cease to be measured and eternity will begin forever. Peter wanted his readers to know that people would mock that truth. They would be driven by lust, and they would say, where's the promise of His coming? Peter says that the same Word of God that brought the heavens into existence will one day speak them out of existence. And the fact that it has not happened yet does not mean that it will not happen. God keeps time differently than man does, Second Peter 3 and verse 8. It's God's patience that's still at work, allowing people to soften their hearts and change their minds. God does not want anyone to be lost, verse 9 but we will remember from Matthew 7 verse 13 and 14 that most people will be lost. One of the blessings of Bible study is that we know that this great day is coming. It causes us to look for that day, 2 Peter 3 verse 12 and 13. It causes us to love that day, verse 13. It causes us to live for that day, verse 14. And it causes us to learn about that day, verse 16. The way Peter sums all of this up is by saying that since they know these things beforehand, to be on guard, verse 17. Like Paul had said in 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 4, But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. Some day this world will come to a grand climax when our Lord pulls the plug on the clock of time. It will happen swiftly and suddenly like a thief coming in the night, 2 Peter 3 and verse 10. Most people will be unprepared for that day and will be eternally lost. Now that fact is tragic and it should motivate us to share the good news with them. We have been saved to save others too, Second Timothy 2 and verse 2. But by studying our Bibles faithfully and regularly we are arming ourselves. We're preparing ourselves for the day in which we can go to live with God and His home forever. But a last benefit of personal Bible study is that we grow. 2 Peter 3 and verse 18. I find it interesting that Peter begins and ends his letter talking about knowledge. He ties grace and knowledge together at both ends of this epistle. We cannot exhaust the list of reasons why we should faithfully study the Bible as we grow as Christians, but growth is a good summary reason. Imagine yourself this time next year or five years from now. 25 years from now, where do you hope to be in your Christian life? You might be an elder in the Lord's Church or a Bible class teacher. You might be a preacher. You might be the most involved, most actively serving woman in the congregation. You might be the one that many other people come to to answer a difficult Bible question. Or you might be the Christian that people count on for solid spiritual counsel. But how do you get from where you are now to such a place on your spiritual journey? begin right now in these early days to be a dedicated Bible student. You know, someone has said that whatever is not growing is dying. What's the difference between a green flowering tree and a ragged old fence post? Both are made of the same basic material, but one is growing and the other one is dying. Now what's the difference between a thriving, godly Christian and a Christian gnarled and knotted by sin and temptations and trials? Both have been washed in the blood of Christ. Both are children of God, but one is growing while the other is spiritually dying. The Bible is spiritual food to prevent your soul from malnourishment. Did you know that there were 923 million malnourished people in the world in 2007? Up from 833 million people in 1990. On average, a person dies every second as a direct or indirect result of malnutrition. That's 4,000 an hour. That's 100,000 a day. 36 million each year. Malnutrition results in 58% of all deaths each year and 60% of all child deaths. But what's tragic about this is that the world already produces enough food to feed everyone and could feed almost double the current population according to UN statistics. The problem is not that we do not have enough Bibles. We do not have enough people taking advantage of the spiritual nourishment available to them. If you will be a diligent Bible student, you will grow and thrive in a world of people dying of spiritual malnutrition. In the 16th century, the printing press had been invented and Bibles were just starting to become available to the people. Education was on the rise and people in large numbers were able to read. If a pro-Catholic was on the throne, the common person could not get access to a Bible without great difficulty. But when a pro-Protestant was on the throne, people had freer access. And during these favorable times, people could read the Bible for themselves. But to do so, the common man would have to schedule an appointment and stand in line, sometimes in bad weather, to get to read the Bible for 15 minutes. You know, most people own several Bibles. And we have free access to the Bible thanks to the sacrifices of men centuries ago who often lost their lives to get the Bible into the hands of the common man. Now that you're a Christian, living in an age and a time where the Bible is freely available, will you take advantage of this blessing and study the Bible? We looked at just one book of the Bible, just the book of Second Peter. And we saw the blessings of knowing God and His Word revealed there. And those other 65 books are great treasures that will help you as you grow in this wonderful new life as a Christian and as you share the good news with those around you. May God bless you as you grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ to whom be glory both now and forever. May God bless you as you embark on personal Bible study to help you grow as a Christian.